Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. With producer Sana Marie, each week I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose the highs and lows of their pursuits and how through their passion they are moving the culture forward be sure to follow verbally effective and ina esco on instagram also download the verbally effective podcast on soundcloud itunes and google play music don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verbally breaking news out of over thousands of applicants the Verbally Effective Podcast has been selected to showcase at the 2020 South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas. Ina Esco will be interviewing Taylor to the Stars and Memphis native Rich Fresh on the big stage. What's up, it's your girl, Devin Dion. The life of the party always get it started. And you already know I'm rocking with the Verbally Effective Podcast and Ina Esco. Memphis, Tennessee, it's your boy Jared J.B. Boyd from the Daily Memphian and NPR's Bill Street Caravan. I am in the building with the queen, the woman, the best, the most magnificent, exuberant, lovely, creative Ina Esco at the Verbally Effective Podcast. Hey, my name is Carlissa Shaw, and I am verbally effective because I'm an author, an attorney, a mother, and an advocate. Born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, Carlissa Shaw graduated from Central High School in 2005. After high school, she attended Middle Tennessee State University, where in 2009 she received a B.S. in political science with a concentration in pre-law. She returned to her hometown of Memphis as a student at the University of Memphis, Cecil C. Humphrey School of Law. While in law school, Carlissa served as the 2011-2012 law clerk for the Honorable Judge Jerry Stokes. Carlissa is a proud 2012 graduate of the Cecil C. Humphrey School of Law and started her legal career as a staff housing attorney at Memphis Area Legal Services. She spent several years as the managing attorney for Criminal Law Division at Horn and Wells PLLC. She currently serves as an assistant county attorney. Carlissa is a mother, author, blogger, and community advocate. Verbally effective, your double E, Ina Esco here. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Verbally Effective Podcast. Today, I have a heavy, heavy, heavy hitter. I got attorney, author, a blogger, and mommy, Carlissa Shaw, on the pod today. What's up, lady? Hey. How's it going? You know, another day. Another. How are you? <laughs> I, girl, I am, look, let me hand you your water back. I am good. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I know as an attorney, you are very busy out in these Memphis streets. <sighs> I am, but I am happy to be here and happy to have this conversation with you and support you in every way that I possibly can. Thank you so much. I remember when we first met back in the day, it was for some type of event with Earl Fisher. Hey, Earl. Hey, Earl. <laughs> hey, bro. And you know, it had to deal with community activism, feminism, misogyny. It was an all-lady panel. And I remember you were just standing your ground <laughs> on your opinion. And it was you Tammy Sawyer, Kirsten Cheers. It was one more lady. Do you remember? Was it with somebody else? 
I can't remember. But you three were the main ones, and you and Tammy were battling <laughs> it out. You remember that? Yes, those were the good old days. I would like to say that I've grown from then. Yeah. Um, still very opinionated, still very focused on community, but I have smoothed my edges a little bit. Um, and, that. you know, matured a lot in a lot of ways and found ways to effectively communicate my opinions a little bit more um, clearly. Okay. Okay. I like that. I like <laughs> I'm that. I'm growing up. Hey, <laughs> we all go through it. But you know what? I mean, you told me your age. I, I, you were very mature to me back then, though, because you were so knowledgeable about this. I was like, hey, the ladies are doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, okay, okay, okay. So let's start at the beginning, Carlissa. What part of Memphis are you from? I am from North Memphis. Another North Memphis. I love North Memphis, like okay. with all of my soul. My grandparents live in Hollywood. I grew up in Frazier. I currently live in Raleigh. What? I'm never living. I'm never leaving North Memphis. You can't pay me to leave North Memphis. It will not be a day. You North North for real. I for am real. generational North. I tell my daughter all the time that she is fourth generation North Memphis. She can't leave neither. This is oh, our man. community. This is our neighborhood. We love it. This is what we do. Okay. <laughs> so how was it growing up in North Memphis? What did it look like as a young child for you? I loved it. I didn't know um, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so I never knew that North Memphis was an impoverished neighborhood until I went to college. Like, I didn't know it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to, I'm a Snowden Central kid. I recognized that there were people who had more money. I just didn't recognize that we didn't have a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my grandparents, like I said, they live in Hollywood. Uh, Their street was so well preserved when I grew up. We knew all of our neighbors. We knew everybody who lived on the entire street. Uh, I grew up in a home where my grandmother would cook on Sundays, and we would have to run plates across the street and down the street, even if it is just a piece (laughs) of cake to Miss May down the street. Um, That's what we were doing. And it was very similar in my neighborhood in Frazier. I, I knew all of my neighbors. I knew everyone who lived on my street. I played with all the neighborhood kids. It was a very close-knit community, um, and I just loved it so much. I had a very normal, like what I want to call normal childhood, riding bikes, playing freeze tag, getting into a little mischief, walking to the candy lady. I mean, all of those things were a part of my childhood. We um, took full advantage of the community centers. So I was always at North Frazier. I took swimming lessons at Ed Rice. Like, literally, that whole community truly raised me in a village sense. And I, that's why I'm just so passionate about North Memphis and showing people all the good things about North Memphis and the good people that come from North Memphis if they have the right amount of support and the right amount of uh, just village. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what school did you go to in North Memphis? See, I'm a Snowden Central kid. So you graduate, okay, Central High yeah. School. Okay. So, you know, Snowden is in North Midtown. Right. Um, and so my parents, you know, took full advantage of the optional school transfer program. Gotcha. Gotcha. I started there. I was Snowden kid from kindergarten to eighth grade and then okay. just transitioned to Central in that okay. little yeah. in that little cross section. People so. that I know that went to Central and Snowden Central, as you said it, they love it. They live and die by it. Yeah. So Very so cultured. so much. People try to take away my North Memphis car because I didn't go to school in North Memphis. So I try to tell people all the time <laughs> that my parents gave me the best education that they yeah. could give me. And at that time there was an optional school yeah. and you know, I love it. I loved it. 
I got the best of both worlds. Again, it's still North Midtown. It's not quite, I you know. I got you still North North right, in my book, Carlissa. Right, hey, you know, <laughs> people try to take away my street cred they all the time. I have to let them know. Like, let this ain't know. what it is. This I got you. Now, when you were at Central, what were you involved in? Everything. <laughs> like what? Uh, I literally have done everything, like, forever. And so I was an athlete at Central. What did you play? I played basketball. I ran track. I ran okay. cross country okay. um i was on the palm squad i did student council okay. i have always Very been that involved. kid that always had activities mm-hmm. um and so that was just my life i enjoyed it so much i did the same thing at snowden mm-hmm. you know i uh, when i went to college i ran track at mtsu for a couple oh, of years you weren't playing with that uh, track I mean, I just like being involved in things. My mm-hmm. parents made sure that I was involved in everything known to mm-hmm. mankind. And so that's just something that kind of stayed with me. What did you run in track? Uh, in high school, I was a 400 runner. And when I got the MTSU, I was an 800 runner. Okay. You got some endurance, mm-hmm. girl. Okay. A little pal. A little pal. <laughs> so when you were at MTSU, what was your major? I majored in political science. Mm-hmm. Um I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. I've always wanted to be a lawyer. You've always known. Yeah. Um, so my grandfather, who's now deceased, when I was probably about six, he told me I could do one or two things, and that was either be a lawyer or be a doctor mm. because people were always going to get sick and people were always going to go to jail. And I decided that I didn't yeah, like lied. people. I didn't like sick people. So my only other option was to be a lawyer, and mm. I was okay with that. And so I was that little kid who was eight years old that was like, when I grow up, I'm going to be a lawyer. Wow. Uh, I was always very sure of it. I was always very confident, and I tracked myself. You know, I put myself on the track very early on that this is what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and this is what I accomplished. So were your parents very supportive with that goal, you saying that? I mean, it was just time. something that everybody they, knew. Everybody was, knew. This, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. Like, it's not a full support. Yeah, this is, this is what okay. we're going to do. It was, mm-hmm. um, you know, my parents are the, the most supportive people on earth. Like, I could... You know, I always joke that if I told my parents I was walking across the street at MTSU with a new outfit on, they was going to be there with their cameras. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> so they are those people, and they I'm just so blessed to have them. But, you know, once I identified at a very young age that this is what I wanted to do, they made sure that I had mentors. They made sure that I had the proper schooling. They made sure I had the proper education. They made sure that I had test prep. They made sure that I, you know, I akin it to playing t-ball in the game of life. Like, my parents really put the ball on an artificial um, tee, and I all I had it. to do was hit it. I love it. Now, was there a specific type of practice that you thought you'd pursue? So when I was – so growing up, no. Mm-hmm. I did not know what – I knew lawyers – like, I knew the general idea <laughs> yeah. of lawyers, but I didn't really have a practical knowledge of what I wanted to do. When I was in law school, um, I've been I've always been very passionate about community. And so when I was in law school, I decided that I wanted to work at legal aid. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that that would be my career path. I I just knew that for the rest of my life, I would be a legal aid attorney. And what does that entail, a legal aid attorney? Um, So legal aid, Memphis has two nonprofit organizations that provide legal services to people who can't afford them on on the civil side. And so, of course, the public defender's office offers um, legal services for people in criminal matters. So legal aid does anything civil. So if you, um, actually, I actually worked for legal aid my first year out. So I did a uh, housing litigation. So people who are being wrongfully evicted, people who are being wrongfully foreclosed, people who had their house sold in tax sale. That's what I did. Uh, it's the hardest work I have ever done Is in it? my life. I was working 
80 plus hours a week mm. every week and I got paid um a little bit less than $40,000 a year. What? All those hours? Like yeah, that? it was the hardest work I've ever done, but I um I loved it. I loved my clients. I still see my clients to this day. Mm -hmm. The majority of my clients were older African-American females who had been somehow taken advantage of Mm -hmm. by a predatory lender, Mm -hmm. by a grandchild who they, you know, bonded them out of jail and put a took out a a bond lien on their houses. And we know how that goes. Um, I mean, just or a husband who had always maintained the finances who had died and they didn't know how to, you know, They didn't know how to pay the mortgage, literally had not paid the mortgage in the whole lifetime. And so I really found um, a lot of passion and a lot of um, completeness by doing that work. Mm -hmm. And I never, um, it was just, it was hard work. And um, What would a typical day look like? (laughs) (laughs) You meet a lot of different people. I mean, at that job, it was so crazy. Literally, I would have to get there at like 6 a.m. so that I could do work before clients start coming in. Mm -hmm. We would have at least five clients per day that's adding to, when I left there, I had 300 cases open. Mm. Um, And so, I mean, my days are just crazy, but it was really, really rewarding um, when we were able to get someone's house back that was sold at tax sale or to stop someone's house from being foreclosed on. I mean, it was a very, very rewarding thing, but I didn't get a chance to go to trial or court much. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really, really wanted to do. And so um, I met Arthur Horn randomly. I don't even know where I met Art. Somewhere in these streets. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and I knew that he tried cases. I knew he tried a lot of cases. And they were looking for an associate. Him and Murray were looking for an associate at the time. And I was like, hey, I want to try cases. Um, and so I joined Horner and Wells, and I was there for five years, um, and I tried cases for five years. I thought my work was hard at legal services, but uh, Art and Murray were two of the hardest working lawyers I've ever seen in my wow. life. And I, by the time I was 30, I'd probably done upwards of 25 jury trials. Oh, wow. We were in trial just about every month. Wow. Um, if not every other month for five years. And so that was a huge, huge, huge learning experience. I love working with them. I love working for them. Um, after I had my daughter, I tried three jury trials while while nine months pregnant. Mm, girl, what? Wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Did nobody tell months? me. Yeah, I actually, Art and I finished an aggravated rape trial on a Friday. We got a not guilty. And I went into labor Sunday morning. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Did that trial push that baby on? on I just, labor? that baby knew I wasn't going to stop working. <laughs> she just knew I wasn't going to, because every, every month you I was like, okay, I'm going to maternity leave. I'm not going to, I'm not working anymore. We're going to have to reset these mm-hmm. trials. And I just kept working. And the baby was like, okay, mom, I'm sick of hearing about all these trials, all these cases. Oh, my. I'm just going to have to get here so you can sit down a little bit. Yeah, God, God <laughs> yeah, baby and God intervened. Now, when you did start in the courtroom did you love it like i love it you did you do i mean it's like tv like in my mind like that in my mind it's like tv like when Mm -hmm. we get started especially working for art and murray if anybody has ever seen them just at a bar they are like tv lawyers they Mm -hmm. look like tv lawyers Mm -hmm. there's the look there's the attitude there's the swag Mm -hmm. and so when you join forces with them you have to also become a tv lawyer so it is Mm -hmm. all the 
the glitz, the glam, the purses, the red bottoms, making sure that the look matches everything, yes. making sure that all of our cases are perfectly presented. I mean, it was like television, like and scene. Like it was <laughs> always so much fun. Wow. So I know you have worked in a variety of law practices, nonprofit, trial law, and now for the county government. Like what are the differences and similarities between these? They're all so different. Um, I think I'll tell people working at a nonprofit was the hardest work I've done as far as like the amount of hours that it's required and the least compensated. Mm. Like literally I was getting paid. I, I only want to do the, how much I was getting paid an hour <laughs> because it was probably yeah. like some dollars, like mm. minimum wage. Um, but it was the most, rewarding. you know, it was the most rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, trial work was a lot of fun and I say fun it was a lot of stress because we always took our clients cases very seriously and we were trying very serious cases mm-hmm. um so murder trial I mean all types of craziness medical malpractice we just but we I only didn't did crazy stuff. On the news yeah, we only did crazy stuff I was like wait every day was really crazy um but we worked really hard and it was very rewarding to get our clients the best outcome mm-hmm. um and that was also very financially lucrative and so and it was a lot of fun we had a lot of really high profile clients mm-hmm. that we were able to help um you know just i could name a whole list of people but what have been some of your favorite high profile clients um everybody i mean we have not had a a, a bad client I, I can't not think of DJ Stephens because DJ is like the little brother who will never go away. I'm like, DJ, I'm not your lawyer no more. Like, <laughs> could you please stop asking me advice about everything in the world? What, um, does, what did he call you? Attorney Shaw? Carlissa? Any, anything, anything. Anything. Just anything. <laughs> I'm like, DJ, what do you want? Um, but, but our firm created a culture that our clients were like family. They are family. Mm-hmm. And so when you can you can call and you can ask questions and your family now and so that was always a whole 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 lot of fun, but also understanding that when I started working for Horn and Wills, I didn't really know the magnitude of our clientele, mm-hmm. um, and so one time I went to court and you know it, you just get a name on the docket and usually if there's a rapper we don't I don't I don't associate someone's quote-unquote, government name with, they, with who they, they are. Them, yeah. So I go to court one day, and Sno- and their camera's there. I didn't think that they were there for me because there's just a name and a sheet of paper, and it was Snooty Wild, and I was like, oh, hey, everybody, <laughs> y'all are here for me. Oh, hey, Snooty, that's Snooty Wild. Like, Hi, okay. Snooty. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Um, but it really kind of changed my perspective of what type of firm I was working at and the type of people that I was working with. And so... It really kicked me in high gear of, you know, I can't be half-stepping on any given day. I have to always come in my, I used to joke and say, how to get away with murder. That was my, like, For it's real. like a TV show. Like, every day I have to be on scene and on set and ready to perform. So that was fun. Yeah. Government is interesting. Mm-hmm. It is a whole different new animal for me well I've been there for two years now but it, it is very different to see the different moving parts in government mm-hmm. uh, whereas I've been on the sidelines for government for quite a quite a, some time now I do a lot of political campaign work and advising work but actually working for local government has been very interesting to see how it works and I've learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know that government actually handles mm-hmm. um, and Things that I didn't know government actually owned. And so uh, I have clients right now like the Agri Center. And I was like, wait, this is government owned? 
I mean, I guess you could think about it, but I was like, I drive past this place, you know, all the time. But really, um, the Agri Center is one of my favorite clients because they have this huge, huge, huge plan to make sure that uh, Memphis and Shelby County is taken care of from an agricultural perspective. So making sure that we have fresh food and making sure that we have availability if people want to go into farming. And I've learned things about ag tech, I mean, and seed production, I mean, all types of things. So I was like, okay, I didn't never <laughs> really care to know anything about these concepts, but it's really dope to kind of be in a room where you're like, hmm, I actually know some stuff about ag tech now. Like, right just to add to my random list of things that I know. So, I mean, it's definitely very, very interesting. Wow. Well, which one do you prefer more? And why the change from, you know, the how to get away with murder, red bottoms, <laughs> on scene, in scene, to now government? I am a very spiritual person. Mm-hmm. And so I, my path seems very... Uh, unorthodox. There are not a lot of people who have worked in all of these different sectors that I've worked in. And to be so young. And to be so young. But I always make sure that my path, I am where I think God wants me to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I pray a lot about the moves that I make. I pray a lot about the transitions that I take. And before I move, I make sure that this is something that I feel is ordained. And um, so it, it's it's very interesting. I don't, I don't think I pr- prefer one to the other. I just believe that everything that I'm doing is a part of a bigger purpose for my for my life and a part of the bigger plan. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just enjoying the ride. Yes, enjoy that ride, girl. <laughs> now you are also a big advocate for empowering people locally and globally. Now tell us what this looks like currently for you. So currently, um, empowerment for me looks like writing. Mm -hmm. And so I used to be very outspoken all over the place, doing a lot of speaking engagements. I've slowed that down tremendously since I became a mom Mm -hmm. because I'm clear that motherhood is my first ministry. Okay. And And congratulations on being a mom. I haven't seen you since you've been a mom. And I know that completely changes your life. old is she now she just turned three three oh that's a very special age so it's very interesting i am i take my motherhood and the task of motherhood very very seriously and so my daughter gets a lot of my time and a lot of my talent and a lot of my treasure and i can't give it to as many people as i used to okay and i just have to be okay with that and that's how i see motherhood right now and as she gets older then maybe i'll kind of take the the rings off but for right now this zero to five um <laughs> formative years i want to make sure that every single day that we're at home yeah. and i actually didn't start it that way um when she was a very little baby i was um asked to restart the democratic party mm-hmm. and i think she was maybe seven weeks when i started doing that and i remember her being in her little baby carriage and accompany me to meetings. And those meetings would be multiple times a week for several hours. Girl, she was seven weeks and you at these meetings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because a part of me didn't want to lose my momentum. Um, I had picked up a lot of local momentum when it came to being a community leader and a community advocate. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes as women, we get afraid to slow down. Mm-hmm. Because what if people forget about me? 
what if I take a break and then people don't call me anymore or people don't value my opinion as much? And I was very afraid of that at first. And so anytime people call, I would still answer until I got burnt out. Okay, I knew I knew that was coming. I knew it was coming. And I was tired. I was grumpy. I was frustrated. I wasn't executing at the level that I used to. My daughter was getting the short end of the stick because she's literally sitting in a baby carriage for hours on end while I navigate these meetings and I do all this community stuff. I'm not interacting with her. She, I'm passing her a pacifier. I'm passing her a bottle. I'm not giving her my time, telling her attention. And so, you know, I just have to have a come to Jesus meeting with myself and say, this is not the type of mom I want to be. And as much as I love community, community going to be there. Community going to be there. I'm glad you said that one out. (laughs) And very quickly, and very quickly. And so I had to refocus because community still is a part of who I am as a person. And I I urge young mothers never to lose themselves in motherhood. Mm -hmm. And so just making sure that you figure out creative ways to still give yourself life and still give yourself purpose. And so I decided to write. Mm -hmm. And so that formulated in writing a book, Mm -hmm. um, which I think... Had I had it when I was a teenager, I would be much further along in life than I am now. Not to say that I'm not where I want to be or not where I'm supposed to be, but there were a lot of dumb mistakes that I made that didn't have to be made. It just was a lack of knowledge and a lack of information. And so that is one huge empowerment piece. And then I also started a blog. And so on my blog, I talk about all types of issues from community uh, motherhood, I think, is what I'm leaning towards the most. I spend a lot of time talking about mom issues and empowering women to balance career and motherhood. Um, I write for Memphis Parent, um, and so monthly there's a feature in Memphis Parent that I write about balancing mom and community and motherhood and finding peace and all those things. And so I still have a community outlet in my writing, but most of my time is devoted to cultivating my daughter. Definitely. Now, your book, 20-something Lessons, Reflections, and Survival Tips for Your 20s and Beyond. Like, how did you sit down and say, I'm going to write this book? Like, what was the pivotal moment? Like, how did this come about? Motherhood. Motherhood. Yes. So, I, well, one thing, when I was pregnant, I asked my mom about her pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And she was like, girl, I don't remember that. That was 30 years ago. What? She like, remember with you. No. I mean, but as I journey this, like, because even when younger moms will ask me questions about, like, newborns, girl, I don't remember that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think we kind of put it, you know, you, you move on from it. There are other challenges that you're facing. Yeah. Um, and so I always wanted to kind of write a book about it. I did I did youth ministry at Mississippi Boulevard really? for several years. And I knew then that there was something that I wanted to chronicle. Like, there are all these girls with all these same issues. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to give them a roadmap. But what gave me the focus to sit down and doing it? Mm-hmm. Motherhood makes well, motherhood makes me very aware of mortality mm-hmm. and understanding that I hope to be here to journey all of life with my daughter. I wish we had two lifetimes together because I love her so much. But realizing that that just may not be my straw that I pull. Um, and so if I'm not here, I want to make sure that she has something. I want to give her the game. 
Give her the game. I want to give her the game. I want her to have a concise set of this is what you need to do to be successful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it may not be a Bible, but it's a roadmap. And it's going to, if you follow these things, if you learn these tools, then the probability will be in your favor of of being more successful than not. Mm -hmm. And so that gave me the focus of, okay, let's sit down and let's do it. Mm -hmm. Let's chronicle my 20s. Let's figure out what I got right. Let's figure out what I got wrong and let's put it in a book so that my daughter and my goddaughter and whoever else wants to read the book will have the game. Wow, chronicling chronicling your 20s. That's why I say you cold to just be in your early 30s now. Thank you. Because you are out here chronicling (laughs) your 20s and did a lot. Now, in your book, in Chapter 10, Take the Cape Off, you do not have to be superwoman. You kind of spoke about that already. You know, how you it was hard to say no. You had to come to the realization now, are there still times when you feel yourself kind of going back into super woman mode at this point now that your child is older? Yeah, of course. So I don't think I ever fully removed myself from superwoman mode. I think I just became more cognizant of when I couldn't do it. And so I think most of us are required from time to time to put on the cape in order to make things work. You got to go to work. You got to I mean, you got to do things when you're tired. You have to do things when you don't want to do them. And so I think life requires it. But I think it also requires you to take time for yourself and understanding how important self-care is. And if you can't be superwoman today, it's okay to say no. It's just, you know, when people may be upset with you, people may be mad, let them be mad. Um, Because at the end of the day, if you're not mentally, physically, financially, emotionally and spiritually healthy, Mm -hmm. you really can't be nothing for nobody else. That's true. And so, you know, making sure that your health is at the foremost and like you have to, you know, love yourself first. And so that kind of what that chapter talks about. If you can't love yourself first, then every other relationship that you have will suffer. And so that's kind of the point I wanted to get across with that. But, you know, keep your cape on. Sometimes <laughs> capes are necessary. Mm-hmm. I completely understand that. But the point that it becomes unhealthy for you mm-hmm. is where the line needs to be drawn. Right. And, you know, you kind of started that with being able to say no, which is something that for women is hard for us to do. Why is that? I don't know. I was actually reading... Um, was it the year of yes? Mm-hmm. And I was like, this book ain't for me. But <laughs> <laughs> you said no more yes. No, nah, this That's ain't for me. Yes. I was like, this is so great. And I love Shonda Rhimes so much. And I picked up the book and I was like, it's so amazing that she's gotten this far in her career by saying no to everything and anything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this has been the opposite of my reality. I say yes to literally everything before we start recording. Um, you asked me if I was comfortable, and I was like, yeah, I had a radio show for all these years. You know, like, I, I said a yes to every opportunity. I never want to turn down an opportunity. I don't care if I was dead tired and have an extra ounce of energy. <laughs> I literally, you know, whatever opportunity was presented to me, I said yes, even if it didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's one thing that I do attribute to a plus side of being a mother is I literally can't say yes to all that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was presented with the opportunity to do another radio show here recently. And I was like, I would be required to get a babysitter. That's a babysitter on top of, you know, me being at work. It just doesn't make sense. I can't I can't work it out right now. So I'm going to have to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my pre-child life, it would have been yes. Like, I, you know, two, three radio show, I, whatever it is, I'm going to say yes. Yes, yes, yes. But I just had to kind of narrow my focus and 
decide the things that I really want to do versus the things I'm just saying yes to because somebody asked. Did you enjoy the radio show? You I did. Had. I Tell did. me about it. Um, so I had a radio show on 1340 WLOK. And it was called Let's Talk Law. And it came on once a week. And it was the most fun. I would have um, the way that I got it. And I always tell young people the thing about Memphis is I love Memphis. Like I am the hugest fan of Memphis. And I think that if you are prepared and you have a real plan, there are opportunities here. And so um, I actually approached Mr. Gilliam, who's the owner of WLOK, with the idea of having a radio show because my clientele at the time at Legal Services was his target demographic. They were older African-American people, and they all had kind of the same issues. And I was like, well, if I could get on the radio and I could talk to them about um, not taking out second mortgages on their home or this reverse mortgage stuff or, um, you know, planning their wheels and probate, then I can reach a wider audience. And so I literally developed for him 12 months of weekly topics. Mm-hmm. And I presented to him, and he was just so impressed. And I didn't have an advertiser. I didn't have nothing. other. I didn't know anything about radio mm-hmm. other than I wanted to talk and to be heard. And so he really brought me in. He showed me how things worked. He taught me about advertising and getting sponsors. And we made it all work. And for four years, I was there. And I literally had weekly listeners mm-hmm. who knew everything about the law because of this radio show yes. and they were advising other people it was so much fun i really 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 enjoyed it and i really enjoyed that outlet to the community because people don't realize how many people still listen to radio oh, definitely. um and so i again it was just one of those things where i was organized i knew what i wanted i knew what i wanted to do and I was able to give a plan to the people who could make it happen for me. And you know what? I have an idea. You know, you really love your radio no. show. <laughs> <laughs> they said no. I'm listening. Well, I'm listening. I'm joking. They said no. It was a I'm joke. just saying, okay, you know how you said if you get back in radio, then you have to find a babysitter. You could do a podcast. <sighs> Same concept. We can talk later about you it. Don't still, be with the no with me this year. You still need a, uh, a babysitter for a three-year-old because she will be running all up and through this podcast. Mama, It'll be mama, easier with Carlissa. It'll be easier with the pod. She call you Carlissa. If I don't answer. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Say, what do you say when she say Carlissa? That's not my name. My name is Mommy. Oh, my. You know what? My four, my, oh, Lord, I said four. He just turned six yesterday, girl. No. Six-year-old Eli. He's tried to call me Ina before, <laughs> and I give him that look. He's like, I meant mommy. <laughs> it's like he know what he doing, right? So they will try they you. They know. They know. Yeah. And we love them so much. But people also know, don't know the amount of planning and work that goes into making this stuff possible. So, again, oh, yeah. it's a time commitment. Yeah, definitely. And so, well, we can talk about it. Okay, we'll talk. <laughs> we can talk about no. it. <laughs> <laughs> now, look. That was like, no. Okay, so, Carlissa, let's get into our verbally effective right quick. Now, you know, you specialize in law, and, they, and there have been, like, a lot of different current events going on recently, especially in Memphis with University of Memphis basketball player James Wiseman. Yes. So have you been following this story? I have followed this story. Uh, it's been all over social media. Mm-hmm. I actually went to um, a continued legal education seminar earlier today, and Leslie Ballin, who's the attorney for James, I mean, uh, yeah, James Wiseman, 
um, actually gave us a little update of what's happening on the legal side of it. I think that this is very, very interesting. I, de- I definitely have my own opinions about the NCAA um, as from as a former athlete's perspective, as a lawyer's perspective, they definitely have some interesting ways of doing things. They do. Um, very much so. Because really and truly, they knew about everything in his past with his mom and Penny providing the money. Like they already knew that and they already said, okay, he's eligible, yes. right? And then all of a sudden last week, they said he wasn't. Yes. Like someone just pulled a card. Yeah. What happened, Carlissa? Tell me what's going on. So the, so for the people who don't know what the history of the situation is, in 2008, I believe, Penny gave a $1 million donation to the University As of Memphis, booster. which made him technically a booster. A booster. Right. Um, again... As uh, Attorney Ballin pointed out earlier today, James Wiseman was seven years old right, when that like, donation was made, and no one could have ever thought that this seven-year-old, you know, I don't know who plans out things that far in advance, but that's just not what happened here. Right. Um, and last year, no, in 2017, um, Penny helped James Wiseman and his family move from Nashville, I believe, to Memphis. $11,500. Yes. Um, helped him relocate. His sister was here, helped him relocate. All this information was already given to the NCAA when he um, first started his NCAA NCAA process. The NCAA said that this was fine. It's okay. All of a sudden, last week, they said, we know we said that it was fine. Right. But actually, this is in violation of all these different um, booster uh, financial possibility issues mind you even when the eleven thousand dollars uh was paid to help his fa- this family move penny was not the coach of memphis right. memphis had a coach memphis was not in the talks of firing their coach this was again i don't know who penny was just his aau right he was coach aau at that time. yes and so penny was not even on the list or didn't even Express interest. Right, and being a college coach. And so it's a really crazy, crazy situation. Um, They did today, was it today or yesterday? Either today or yesterday withdraw their lawsuit. Um, And I think, and what it's kind of the rumblings, is that there's going to be some type of workout Mm -hmm. situation, some type of negotiated settlement Mm -hmm. of how they're going to deal with this situation. Do you think that this is the best situation for Wiseman to still play? I don't see why he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the NCAA does a lot of things. And um, sometimes they're not necessarily in the best interest of the athlete. It has never been. And so understanding that collegiate sports are very different um, in ways in which there's no union, there's no real support system, there's no conversation around what does it look like to be fair to the athlete. Uh, when you look at, you know, the bargaining tools and labor uh, situations in professional sports, there's always a way for the athlete to be heard, mm-hmm. even if it is, you know, uh, inferior to the owners and all the other people. But there's still this there's still this union. There's not one for college athletes. So even when we look at the NCAA just now allowing um, athletes to be paid 
right. for their I life. I surprised when they allowed that. Well, they had to because California made it legal. And so you have one state that now makes it legal. States now know that they can make it legal because um, they fought that tooth and nail through litigation. The court have. said that, hey, they have the right to do that. So now you have one state saying that it's possible. So all the rest of them are going to do it. So what are you going to do? You might as well now make it legal. But even then, they still have been doing it because um, even when I was in college, the boy or male athletes who participated in football and basketball, they get royalties from uh, video games. And so, there, I mean, there are all these little nuances, but understanding that there have been athletes who have been punished. I saw one 30 for 30. There was a boy, I don't remember his name, but he got um, deemed ineligible for making money off YouTube. That's crazy. That um, is crazy. And so, you know, there's this is a million, billion-dollar business of people making money off these collegiate athletes, mm-hmm. and literally they don't have money to, you know, feed themselves. Some of them are living off Pell Grants. Some of them don't have, you know, family support financially. Most of them, realistically, when we talk about the type of athlete that usually is recruited, um, they usually have some type of lower middle-class income situation coming in into it and they're spending years where they could be possibly making money going overseas or doing other things but they're at a university in which they're being told well your education is free and that would be (laughs) and that would be fine if the university wasn't making millions of dollars what are they doing with those mills (laughs) right if the university wasn't making millions of dollars and one of the huge arguments about this situation was also that college coaches are now being paid on par with professional coaches. Oh, yeah, it's time for the athletes. You know, and so, and these athletes, are they get an education, wow. And and, re, and the reality of the situation is I was a collegiate athlete. You're not getting the same education because you have to wake up and go to morning practices. Mm-hmm. You have to miss travel. class for games. You have to travel. Mm-hmm. You're not getting the same education as a regular college student. And so, you know, there's just so many NCAA issues. But I think when it comes to the James Wiseman situation, they're going to announce some type of negotiated settlement. I'm going to guess that it's probably going to be three to four games that he's going to have to sit out. And then he'll be good for the rest of the season. Yeah. But you know what I like? I like how Penny stood by his side. Penny wasn't budging. Those shirts with the target on the back of them. I said, I don't know who's doing that marketing, but they are quick and they are good. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, they Memphis, are uh, very own rich freshman doing a lot of his tailoring. Mm. They, I was like, those shirts, the target on the back of them, they were Baby. awesome. They I were love awesome. it. Wow. Well, we're going to see how that James Wiseman situation pans out. Now, while we're on sports, then I like the fact that you were in the NCAA as an athlete. I was, too. I played volleyball. But, I mean, I've always been intrigued by sports and the news that comes with it. Colin Kaepernick. Hmm. So now the NFL has agreed for him to do a workout. Did you hear about that, Carlissa? I did see that. I saw that in response to someone. It was more so about Jay-Z than it was about Colin Kaepernick. They're putting Jay-Z into this. People are so frustrated with what Jay-Z has or has not done with the NFL. They're waiting to see. And, um, you know, just him being associated with it, period, Based upon the things that he said in the past, people will have problems with. Um, and so the story that I saw said that Jay-Z has something to do with him getting workouts. That's what I saw, too. So, but I didn't see Jay-Z say that. Is it true? I don't know. 
if that's what the speculation is. I mean, it's interesting. I, I definitely, I appreciate Jay-Z as a business person. Mm-hmm. And I also appreciate his voice when it comes to advocacy. Yeah. And so I think sometimes people do not understand the power of being at the table yeah. when it comes to decision making. And it may look a little weird for you to be at the table with them people. Mm-hmm. But when you get at the table with them people, there's power and influence. And yeah. so I think it's possible that he's involved in this. I think whole it's possible. Situation. Yeah, they, they gave Jay a lot of backlash. I, but a lot of people have been holding their tongues just to wait and see. That, I, that was me. I yeah. was I was on that. Let's see what he going to do. Yeah. You definitely get a little bit of a yeah. side eye, but let's see what he going to do. Because yeah. he hasn't let us down. Like no. as a businessman yet. No. <laughs> he he got he going to do something, y'all. He going to do something. Just, just watch, let it give it a little time to pan out. Yeah, let's give it a little time. Now, last topic, Carlissa. Instagram. I know you're on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. Are we talking about likes? We're talking about them likes. That's so crazy. Um, <laughs> so I have this Facebook thing where I usually start like Facebook wars, and I I dip out like because people just be going for like one bajillion comments, and I don't I lose track of what happened. And I was about to talk about that today, but then I got lost in my day but that was something that I really want to have a conversation about on Facebook because that's more of a conversational form for me yeah um so yeah that's interesting that you brought that up right so you know the CEO um they've been already doing some testing in other countries about removing the like option so you'll be able to like if it's my account I can see who's liking it but can't nobody else see it so they're saying that this is going to help with um i guess helping out with some of the depressurization of the youth having issues with social norms and things of that nature um why are you looking like that carlissa (laughs) so because i don't want to answer this but i will go ahead and answer it i wait because it, it it's I see both sides, mm-hmm. and that's such a lawyer response to say, but it's so true because I see. So, get hmm. it out, lawyer. So let me let me be the mom okay. first. I do see a lot of young people, and I do. I, I won't even say young people. People who are now valuing themselves based upon Instagram likes. Mm-hmm. So you see it for yourself. I do. Mm-hmm. I see it for myself. Um, I see people creating worlds that don't exist. Okay, I see that. Based upon Instagram likes, um, I see the level of modification of reality. Mm-hmm. And so I have a blog, and I'm trying to keep up with everything that people are doing in the blog world. And people started talking to me about photoshopping pictures and filters and things that you should use. And so I'm playing around with these all these different apps and things. And I'm like, you can whiten your teeth. You can change your eye color. You can slim your face. Like, this stuff is crazy. Like, y'all don't think this is crazy? Like this is, you know, I'm good for a good brighten the picture up if it's dark. But I'm going to post, you know, the way that I look. Um, Even when you think about, like, makeup drastically i graduated from high school in 2005 i went to prom with eyeliner and lip gloss on mm-hmm. my cousin came over to do my eyeliner and my lip gloss i didn't <laughs> even do it myself my cousin came over to do my eyeliner and my lip gloss and i didn't look any different from anybody else mm-hmm. all the girls i went to high school with had on eyeliner and lip gloss and this is like the change. this is the who's who high school in memphis this is the this is the happening high school i had two tracks 
two two tracks of hair in the back of my head. The rest of the girls had two tracks of hair. You know, like nobody had bundles. Nobody had a whole new face beat. This wasn't happening. Everybody looked like themselves. Like, and we've now created a culture where people are basically, you know, turning into someone else, uh, for lack of other terms. And I, I think as a mom, I'm very concerned with that. Because I am trying to teach my daughter, if you can't be nobody else in this world, you just can be yourself. And that means from the way that you act, the way that you talk, the way that you look, um, I want her to really be okay with that. Mm -hmm. But also understanding that I know that she's growing up in a world where everybody's being somebody other than what they are. Definitely. Um, And so that is very, very concerning. And I do think that there are a lot of young people who do base their value on Instagram likes. Um, and I tell people all all the time, I know about five millionaires under the age of 40 that live in Memphis. Two of them don't have social media. One of them probably got like 100 followers. And the other one probably got like 1,000. And they like it just like that, right? Right. And I'm like, so, you know, I mean millionaires. I don't mean like, I mean this person, I know for a fact that they have a million dollars in assets and they're under the age of 40 years old. Mm. So don't be fooled by likes. Don't be fooled by social media. There are people who are making real moves and real money and they on, they're not wasting their time on Instagram. Definitely. And so I think that that's one perspective. But I also think that it's very strange that a social media site would remove a like option. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, what's their incentive to remove the like option Mm -hmm. which again is a money it's a financial incentive so i don't appreciate instagram (laughs) pretending that they are doing like humanity some great justice when it's by doing this when really it's a backhanded way for them to reinvent themselves and get more advertising from people who you know who make money off of instagram the people who are influencers the people who are being paid by brands in order to, you know, wear their clothes or to post things. The people who do have business pages, they're going to have to pay more money to to advertise things. Like, so, you know, I, it's just a back and forth thing for me that I'm not really comfortable with either side of it all. Yeah. Um, I do think that social media has the propensity to be an unhealthy space. Definitely. And, um, but I don't think that it's okay that people who are making billions of dollars off social media want to make more money off social media by telling us that social media is a bad thing. Yeah, they wrong for that. I like (laughs) how you said that they are using what they're telling us, the reason they're doing it, to reinvent themselves. You you are right. Yeah. I'm like, so you just want to, because they didn't didn't realize, I don't think any of them realized how big social media was going to be. And why them, I mean, you know, the CEOs and the Mark Zuckerbergs, they had no idea. They were college students themselves when they were doing these things. And so it's just been an evolution and for them, this is this is their business. And so again, don't tell me that this is a humanitarian thing that you're doing. <laughs> you are reinventing your business and to make it more lucrative for you and your shareholders. Um, Boom. But you know, to each that I do think that there are a whole bunch of issues with social media and you know the way that we value social media and things of that nature. So your baby girl Nia Grace, are you gonna let her be on social media when it comes that time? So, is she on social media? Oh, 
no, my uh, so my daughter has a very I call it an eighties an eighties <laughs> baby upbringing. Yeah, um, we do minimal screen time. Um, she does have a tablet, but she only uses it when we're traveling. Um, we do minimal television. I mean, she is a bubbles play outside, hopscotch, jump rope, um, shark the shark thing. Yeah, we we like a real kid household. Like, and I'm very and I'm very very intentional about making sure that she has an eighties baby upbringing. Um, because I just think that that was the way that I, I turned out well. And I want to make sure that she turns out well, and I don't want her to be overly exposed. I I tell people all the time, I don't like kids on social media, um, and that's just from my vantage point. I think that there is a, a rabbit hole that is social media. When I go to my Explore page and I see half-naked women, I'm like, what am I looking at for this to pop up in my Explore page? Like I, mm-hmm. You know, there's just so much there. And it's very important that when you're cultivating a child that you make sure that their knowledge is limited to what they can interpret. Um, and so, nah, it's a no for me. But, you know, I, I don't judge other parents for doing whatever they decide is appropriate. But for us, you know, I got on social media when I was in college. And I'm okay with maybe giving it to her in high school. But anytime before then, I tell, and I caution people with that. I'm glad that there was no social media when I was in high school. I Girl, thank you. God that there was no social media I'm in high school. I'm glad it would look. Like, I'm glad it wasn't no social media when I was in college. Like I, I'm Jesus. just so glad because I tell people all the time, like if if somebody recorded your life in high school, you would be just as ashamed as these kids are. Like it really, they're not doing anything different. There's just a camera there to catch their moments, and they typically are bad moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know. Mm-hmm. She may think that I'm strict. She may think that I'm insane, but she gonna thank she gonna me when she grown. Right, <laughs> right. She gonna thank you when when she is grown. You know what? I really appreciate you coming on the pod. I have learned so much about you. No, I've had so much fun. Yes, yes. Um, what is next for Carlissa? Are you gonna do a part two to your book? Are you gonna stay in law? What is long term for Carlissa? I don't have long term. <laughs> No, you're going to keep saying no. So it's so crazy. I have a life coach now. That's good. Uh, I believe in making sure that you have coaches for all areas of your life. And so I believe in counseling. I believe in life coaching. Whatever you need to do to make sure that your life is where it needs to be. So uh, Danny Banks is my life coach. She is uh, um, an attorney. Uh, She's not practicing right now, but she was at uh, the Cochran firm for a very long time. And she made me do a one-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. Um, and I can't tell you what's on any one, any one of those documents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I do know, again, I'm just very focused on making sure that, you know, I'm praying and asking God for direction. And when he gives it to me to be moving my feet in the direction that he gives me. Hey. And so um, I'm excited. I definitely want to do more stuff. I want to do more community stuff. Um, I'm really working on uh, land development right now. It's kind of my, my pastime. And so I've been buying up the block, buying the properties okay. in North Memphis. Uh, I like that. You know, doing those type of things, kind of bigger projects with long-term impacts. That's kind of been my focus. And so making sure that I'm just doing my work and making sure that I'm listening to the voices that I listen to. Awesome. That is awesome. You are uh, you are super dope, Carlissa. Thank Let you. everybody know how they can 
Look, I say follow you on social media. <laughs> I do love social media. I, I'm more of a Facebook person than Instagram. I'm yeah. still trying to figure out the Instagram algorithms, and y'all just be I looking do at see pictures. You on Facebook I like often. content. I like also I like Twitter and I like Facebook because I like talking to people. I like having conversations about meaningful things. I do like y'all pictures, so I do like Instagram. Um, but all my social media handles are at the Carlissa Shaw. That's for um, Facebook, Instagram, and face uh, and Twitter. You can find me at there. Um, and again, check out my blog. It's www.carlissashaw.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my book can be purchased at www.20something.com or uh, 20somethingbook.com or Amazon. Thank you so much, Carlissa Shaw, my guest for episode 94 of the Verbally Effective Podcast.